0: in a series talking about the promises of God, and um, it's been great. It's been so impactful in my life, even as I've been uh, teaching on it, the promises of God. And, and what we really begin to dive in and talk about was the fact that not only does God have a promise for His people, but God has a promise for each individual person, that He has spoken something and declared something over all of our lives And there is a promise over every single one of us. How many believe that, that God has a promise for you? Raise your hand. I'm going to look. I'm getting a majority. All right. If you don't believe it, then I hope by the time we're done with this series that you believe that. Because once you know that there's a promise, then you're going to do everything you can to make sure that promise is fulfilled. There's even something different in saying there's a plan and there's a promise, right? You don't get your kids to obey by telling them there's a plan. Right? You get them obey because there is a promise. So if you and I can understand that there is a promise that God has for our life, and if we will walk according to his ways, that promise is going to be fulfilled. It makes it a lot easier than waking up and saying, I gotta submit to the plan, then I get a promise. Big difference. That's the difference in just living for God and then living abundantly. So in the middle of this series. We've talked about some P's that have to do with finding and fulfilling the promise of God in our lives. Number one was passion. What do you love? What is that thing that excites you? That is a really big hint to what your promise is. Personality. What are you like? What are the things that you like? What are you good at? What are you talented at? That is a good sign of what your promise is. Then we talked about the place. The place in your life, could you take me back to a place where you heard God speak something over you? And if you can't, you need to find that place. And then also, the place that He's promised you. That may not be a physical place. It may be this this thing, this uh, arena, this area that God has promised you. So there's always a place. Remember we said several weeks ago, God always starts with a place, and then He creates the people to fill that place. And so a place is very, very important in our lives. And then if God has a promise over your life, the fourth P was provision. If God has promised it, he's going to provide for it. And more than likely, he has already provided a whole bunch of pieces to help fulfill that promise. We, we see it all the time that people are like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And in their hands, you can see They're holding the things that God has given them, and it's a part of the promise. So if you're asking God continually, what am I supposed to do? Look in your pockets. Look in your hands. It's like David having a sling in his hand. That's what he used to defeat Goliath. It's like uh, Moses having a a staff in his hand. And remember one of my favorite passages, he says, God, how are you going to deliver us? And the Lord literally says, why are you asking me? What have I already given you in your hand? The little boy with the loaves and the fishes, there's a miracle needed. Well, he had it in his hand. What has God already given you that you're asking him for more? So begin to look at what God has already brought into your life, and many times that has to do with a promise. And then last week, we talked about the plan, that a promise without a plan is just a dream. If you set a goal and say, this is where I'm going, but you don't put any strategy to it, you don't put some footsteps to it, then it is just a dream. Chris and I, for a long time, dreamed of pastoring a church. We dreamed of doing some things, but until we said, on this Tuesday night, in our little house, you're going to start cooking, she started cooking, we invited some folks, people showed up. We put a plan together, then we went to a little building right over here, and Then we came to this building, and then we went to Sunday mornings, I mean Sunday nights, remember? And then we went to Sunday mornings. There was a plan that we put out. This is how we're going to do it. Everybody say plan. How many planners we got? Raise your hand. You love a plan. Put them down. How many people don't like a plan? You just want to flow with it. All right. I see y'all. And that's why God puts a body together, because the people that don't like to plan need some planners in their life. If you're not a good planner, let me tell you a beautiful secret. Marry one. And if you've already married someone that's not a planner, stay with them. But hang out with some people that know how to put some strategy to your steps. This is something I feel like God has been able to bless me with is Kristen is such a dreamer and a creator, but she has such a great planning side as well. My mom was a dreamer and a creator, and my dad was a planner. And then we have brought people into our life, into our, our oversight team, and they're on our board that they speak to us on a weekly and a monthly basis, and they're asking me about the plan in my life. You need those people in your life. Hang out with planners. Not just partiers, all right? That's tweetable. If You can spell partiers <laughs> with an I or a Y. I'm not sure. So have a plan. But then don't let your plan get in the way of God's plan. This is what we ended on last week. Jeremiah 29:11, which we all love to quote. For I know the plans I have for you. Prosper you, not to harm you, give you a hope and a future. You're going to call on me and pray to me. I'll listen to you. You'll seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, there is a key word in that scripture. Everybody say it with me. I. Take a deep breath and say it really loud. Say I. I. For I know the plans that I have for you. We have to take these scriptures in context because we just grab hold of them. We just talk about plans of God and I've got good things and we forget it's God's plan for me. Not my plan for God's plan for me. Not God checking my plan to make sure it works out with his. It's what is God's plan and then me finding a way to line up on that. The promises of God, we said this last week, are predicated on our obedience to his plan. So God promises something for us. Why does he promise something? In the hopes that we will follow his plan to get to where we're supposed to go. And that's where a lot of folks start going, oh, that's a bunch of religious mess and whatever, all these rules and regulations. The reason God gives a promise is so you'll get into his plan. Why does he want me in his plan? Because he knows what's best for us. He knows what's best. It's... It's like Evan is driving now and, and I, I try to release him and just let him go, but I still give him those little points, son. It's raining outside. You know that, right? Okay, Dad, I got it. You know what that means? Drive a little slower. Just pull it down. Matter of fact, when it's dry, I drive a little slower. Just why am I saying that to him? Because I know what's best for him. I know, because I have totaled cars before, okay? I'm the guy that did that. So I know. So God's plan are not about restricting us to live a less abundant life. It's to get us so we can live a more abundant life. See, that was one little, barely a golf clap, but that was good. I'll take it. I'll take it. The promises are predicated on our obedience. Uh, another passage of Scripture that we, we read last week was after Abraham... Told God, okay, I'll sacrifice my only son. And then the angel grabs his hand and says, don't you touch that boy. In Genesis 22, verse 18 says this, And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed me. There was a promise over Abraham's life, but it only happened after He obeyed God. Obedience. Obedience. None of us really like that word, obedience. But it's a beautiful word when you understand why it's in our life, because obedience is what grants us access to the promises of God. The promises of God. So the plan of God, submit to it, get into the flow of it, and watch God begin to do things in your life. Number six, today, we're going to dive into the, the sixth P, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because most of us are not going to want to hear it. The only way to stick to God's plan is patience. Wah, wah, wah. Can we get back to the prosperity stuff? But I say. say right there, but I'm not going to even say it. Everybody say patience. When I use the word patience, close your eyes, and I want you to think, what is the one word, don't say it, just the one word that comes to your mind when I say it, patience. All right, you got it? All right, open your eyes. I would say the majority of you use this word, waiting. Just waiting, right? And if it's not, that should have been the word you used. Because that's what we think about when we hear the word patience is waiting. And so when we see the word patience and and the scripture, and I, I don't have it today, but the scripture talks about the fact that patience produces amazing things in our life. And one reason God brings trials into our life or allows them to happen is to help bring patience into our life because he knows what patience is going to produce. But when I say the word patience, most of us substitute the word waiting. But now let me say two more words and show you that that's not true. That patience and waiting go together. Waiting room. In a waiting room, there's only one type of patience. That's sick patience. But there's nobody there that's happy about being in the waiting room. Nobody. What are you doing the whole time you're in a waiting room? Just tapping, tweeting, Instagramming, Facebooking. You got work. You're, going, you're already going through all their magazines. You're just a nervous wreck. I want to see the hands of those of you that love hanging out in a waiting room. See that? And yet, for some reason, we take waiting and we put the word patience with it. When that is not the truth because none of us, Like to wait. Nobody likes to wait. And yet patience is the ability to wait with peace. That's what the word patience means. That I can hang out and be peaceful about it. Does that describe anybody here? No. Because we are an instant gratification ADD generation. I want it now, and I got one app open. I need another app open. I can only see one app at a time? Come on, man. And just moving and working, and there's no downtime because none of us like to wait. So maybe a better word for patience is actually trust. So instead of hearing the word patience and connecting it with waiting, what if we take the word patience and connect it With trust. Because the reason we get impatient is because we don't trust. Because you're sitting in the waiting room, and you do not trust that that doctor is thinking about you next. Right? How many of you in your mind think, I bet he's playing golf right now. At this very moment, he's probably just hanging out. How many have had that go through your mind? Raise your hand. Yep, you have. You don't trust the fact. Or or you think, man, I don't know who he's got in there, but there ain't nobody in there bad as I am right now. I need some help. So you don't trust the fact. And so because of that, we're impatient. Are you waiting for the mechanic? Waiting for the oil to get changed? Waiting for them to get your car fixed? You do not trust that that mechanic is putting you ahead of him or her. Right? You don't. And so because of that, when is this going to be done? Come on, we got to get this thing done. If there was a trust factor with a physician, or the mechanic, or the deli clerk, or the bank teller, I can go, or your wife, we can go on and on and on, then there would be a place of patience. So one of the keys to finding and fulfilling our promise is to learn patience. And patience is predicated. On trust. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, trusting that God is a good God. And that he does good things for his kids. As Kristen quoted the scripture the other day, and during her prayer time, I hear her saying all the time, God, you will not withhold any good thing from your children. That if it's good for you, he wants to give it to you. And if it's not good for you, he wants to keep it from you. Like the prophet Garth Brooks said, unanswered prayers. Y'all look at me. How many have prayed for something with all of your heart and a year's later you look back and said, thank God that you didn't give me him or that <laughs> or her. <laughs> no doubt about it, we do. And yet we can be so impatient. In that moment right now trying to figure it out, When, if we can have a complete, total understanding that if it's good for me, God's going to give it to me. And if it's not good for me, God's not going to give it to me as long as I'm walking in his path. The Bible says it is the Father's good pleasure to give the kingdom to his children when they ask for it. I don't know about you, but I was kind of raised thinking God withheld things from me. Like, I'm going to keep the good stuff over here. Right? And yet, as soon as he gets to perform a miracle, he gives him the best wine possible. His first miracle. He didn't reserve it. The best. Like, whoa! Why have y'all been saving this? Jesus wasn't saving anything. He wants to give the best that he has as soon as he can. But he also knows that if he hands you the stuff too early, we're going to mess the whole thing up. Right? Right? I've used this illustration many times. I've talked about Evan driving. I'll talk about Davis driving. We always say everything that we have is our boys. They're in the wheel, it's theirs. But I'm not going to give Davis the keys to our Yukon. He's 12. Even though it's his, I'm not going to just hand it to him and let him go. He's got to wait patiently. For the right time, Galatians 4 and 1, write that down. A powerful passage of scripture that says that an heir, as long as he is a child, has no more authority than a slave. So you can be a child of God, you can be an heir of God, but as long as you're immature, he's not going to give you what he has for you. You and I are over here fussing about it, right? Why can't I have my stuff? That's why, right there. The very thing you just did, that little fit, that tantrum that you just pitched, that's the reason you can't have it, because we haven't learned patience. Your children, the reason they throw tantrums, they don't trust you. They don't trust. They think they know what's best. I need it now, 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 And when ch- kids get older and they grow and they learn, mom and dad are going to take care of me. They have what's best for me. Those tantrums are supposed to get fewer and farther between. Supposedly. If not, then there's an immaturity issue. And so because of that, you can't hand things over. Trusting that God is good and that he wants what's best for his kids. Secondly, trusting God means trusting in God's ways. You'll hear this many times if you hang out at the hills. There is a difference in God's will and God's ways. Big difference. Many times we say, God, I want your will. I want, I want, you, I want to know your will. Forget about it. We just need to submit to his will. His will is going to happen. It's going to roll. It is. It's, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth. The will is going to happen. The reason we're still hanging out is God wants us to know his ways. Not just what he wants to do, but how he does it. Teach me your ways, oh God. Trust is saying, God, I am trusting That your ways are above my ways. They're better than my ways. I'll tell you what, if we can get that revelation in our mind, it suddenly makes patience a lot easier. Because most of us are trying to pull God here and connect him the way we want to do things, how we feel about things. And the entire time God is saying, my ways are better than yours, they're higher than yours. Why would I come down there? Matter of fact, I've already done that. Already been there, done that. Came and did it your way. Now I'm back up here. I'm trying to get you to come do it my way. I've had the, I feel like the Lord's been speaking to me a lot lately about instead of me saying, "Come on, Jesus, come down and be with us," instead saying, "God, won't you let me come up to where you are? Let me rise up to where you are, seated with Him in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. Every name that is named or ever will be named. Up here." Instead of him there, trusting God means trusting in God's ways. Trusting God also means trusting in God's timing. Oh no. I say timing. Why can't it? It's not the right time. How many of you just despise hearing that? Just raise your hand. Just be honest with me. If I hear the word timing one more time, I just want to run through a wall. Just, the time is not right. Oh, come on. Can I have my stuff now? Hebrews 11, probably one of the most sobering passages of Scripture. You ever read Hebrews 11? If you haven't read it, read it. It's about the heroes of the faith. It's about these amazing men and women that did incredible exploits. But it comes down to the very, close to the end of the chapter. And watch this. All of these people died still believing what God had promised them. Boy, that ain't the most depressing passage of Scripture. They did not receive what was promised. Oh, no. But they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. So in other words, instead of trying to get his ways, his plans, his timings linked into theirs, they understood that where they were was not where they belonged. They were nomads. They were foreigners. Why would I try to get God to click his will and ways into my will and ways? They had this understanding. So they didn't trap God into their timing. Obviously, I love that word, because it's not obvious at all to any of us. It's kind of like it's a little sarcastic. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they had come from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place. Hebrews talks about a better covenant, a better promise, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. These people understood that the promises of God weren't predicated on them and where they were, that instead they were supposed to be looking for where the promises of God were really supposed to be. Now let's talk about patience from that standpoint. The timing of God, the will of God, the ways of God. And so let me ask you something. Let me ask myself something. What if it does not happen when I want it? What if the promises of God over my life do not happen when I want it? That's when patience steps in. I mean, I'm looking at many of you right now that feel like the promises of God haven't happened for you when it's supposed to have happened. You feel like you're past your prime. You're too old. I was meeting with a couple of guys this week, a couple of them at different times. And, and it was amazing to hear both of them saying the same thing. that They feel like maybe they've kind of passed it. And I'm looking at them going, I'm 20 years older than you. My goodness. If anybody's past it, I'm past it. I'm on This thing is just beginning for you. This is an incredible time. Write this down. God's time frame is eternity. God's time frame is eternity. So in other words, God's timing is based on no time. Eternity is not a long time. Eternity is the absence of time. So, you know, when you try to think about eternity, you think about, oh, God, it's going to be that long and that long. And it's going, oh, it just gives you the sh- just shivers, you know. You know what I'm talking about? It's not as, it's not as hard when you just take time out of the equation. Because then you realize, okay, I can't even figure that out because everything that I know is based on time. God's timing is based on no time at all. And so, our impatience with God. I've been waiting for 25 years, and God's looking at eternity. And that 25 years is not even a blink in eternity. wouldn't be able to measure it in eternity. And yet we're fussing and complaining. Why? Because it's all about us. It's about me. And me and mine. And what God promised me and mine and those and them and me, 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 mine. My promise, not your promise, God's promise. When you release the promise that you thought was yours and realize it was really God's, then suddenly things begin to get freer in your life. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old before they ever heard a baby cry in their life. 100 years old, 90 years old. One of the young men I was meeting with this past week is right around 30 years old, and I, I reminded him that, that Jewish men couldn't even begin their ministry till they were 30. I remember having a college instructor look at me and say, everything you're going to do great in your life will happen before you're 30. And I remember hitting 30 and just thinking, I would like to go find him. You could not even begin. Jesus, did. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who knew all things, couldn't even start his ministry until he was 30. And we feel like when we hit 22, well, I'm already over the hill now. Come on, y'all. Break that mess off of you. Get that thing off of you. Whatever your daddy said about you, your mama said about you, that college instructor said about you, break it off of you. Submit your life to God's timing. I don't know about you, but that frees me up right there. Eric and I have talked. Eric, we're so glad to have you home. We miss you when you're on the road, man. Love you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. We love you, Eric. I remember talking to Eric about it when God began to call us to plant a church. And you know, I was I was in my forties at that point. I was looking around at all these guys that were planting churches, and they were like twelve. You 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 have you're twelve years old. You can't even drive yet, and you're planting a church. Not really. Some of you they're letting twelve year olds plant churches now. It's kind of a, a joke, but it felt that way. And so. You you, you just got to lay that stuff down. I believe with all of my heart that some of you have not even tapped into your prime yet. Okay, I'll take that if y'all don't want it. Lord, everything that was meant for them, I'll receive it. Those number one songs, those raises, I'll take all that right here and bring it on. What if it does not happen when you want it? What if it does not happen how you want it? Do we predicate it on good for me or good for God? Remember what we said last week—the scripture that we misquote most of the time. I know all things work together for my good. Now, for the good for the good of them who are called according to His purpose, everything's going to work out for my good. Na, 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 na. According to his purpose. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You got to throw that one in there, really? Yes, it's all about him, it's about his purpose. But true patience says God, I trust in you that even if things work out and they don't work out the way I think they should, I'm going to trust in you. What if it does not happen when you want it? What if it does not happen how you want it? And here's the scary one. What if it does not even happen to you? What if the promise that you've received could be fulfilled in someone you support? What if the promise that you feel like was given to you is going to be fulfilled by someone you disciple? What if Elijah would have just given up because he hadn't seen the fulfillment of everything he wanted to see? When Elijah's entire purpose for being there was to bring an Elisha on the scene. What if John the Baptist would have just said, I ain't doing this? When the promise that God gave John the Baptist was there to be fulfilled by the Messiah. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Everybody look at me. The promises of God are never just for one generation. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Many times the promises that you feel like are yours are in reality your children's and your grandchildren's. And I'm looking at folks that are frustrated and angry and bitter and upset because you haven't fulfilled what you feel like God has in your life and you're holding in your hands the fulfillment of the promise in your life. like dads that live vicariously through their children in sports. They don't feel like their promise. That wasn't even meant for you. It was meant for that boy of yours or that daughter of yours to step into that. And here's the great thing for you kids. Many times the promises that were spoken over your parents become yours. So that's why Kristen and I are so careful to try to steward and to make sure that the foundation is right because I know that Evan and Davis are going to step into what God has placed in our life. This is why we have to be so careful, men and women and parents, what we're allowing to come into our homes and what we're allowing to be a part of our homes because that is a part of that baby's heritage and their inheritance and their promise. The promise is unto you and to your children. I'm okay with that, but then what about the many that are afar off? What about the ones that I don't even know yet? What about the ones I don't even like? The ones that I disagree with? The ones that I want to go to war with? What happens when God starts calling them in? And the heathens come in? And the unbelievers come in? What happens then? What happens when God takes the promise I thought was mine and gives it to them? What happens when I thought I was the one that was going to reach the millions? If I was the one that was going to stand on the stage, and yet God pulls this guy out of some place that doesn't know anything, but somehow becomes a part of my life, and I pour into him, and then he goes and does all of these things. What happens then? Do I battle with an elder brother's spirit? Do I get jealous? Do I get angry? Or do I thank God that his promises are being fulfilled no matter what? play something on that guitar.